Welcome to the Business of Value Innovation, MedDevice's monthly podcast that focuses on all things ophthalmology, primarily happening in Europe, but also sometimes around the world. I'm your host, Chris Morrill, um, the president and founder of MedDevice. With me this morning are, are two people who are um, longtime collaborators for me and people who are quite important in the world of particularly ESCRS. We're going to be talking today about the ES, upcoming ESCRS program on practice management and development and the history of the program, how it's evolved and um, where, where it will be going in the future. So with me today are uh, Paul Rosen, who's the chair of the trustees of the ESCRS, past president to the society and chairman of the ESRS practice management committee. And then Colin Kerr, who is project manager for the ESRS practice management and development program. And Colin and I have worked together on this program since I think around 2007, 2008. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Chris. Chris, thank you. So maybe uh, Paul, can, can you just start off a little bit with your background? I think, um, it's interesting to note that while you're an ophthalmologist, you've also done an MBA. And um, what attracted you to being involved with the Practice Management Committee? So I uh, did an MBA at uh, London Business School, and which finished in 2007. And I could see that as doctors, generally people are not that interested in the business of uh, healthcare, but actually it has a huge influence on the way we practice um, and the way we manage our patients. And so I firmly felt that we needed to introduce some form of program to the ESCRS to educate our doctors, not just in clinical practice, but also in business and try and stimulate them to sort of look at their practices in a different way. And it applies the same, whether it's a private practice or a government funded practice. So that was really the, for me, the start of the process. And uh, the, the, the push to try to get the practice management committee up and running. And Colin, at the time you were, um, you had joined ESCRS to head up the, the, the society's publication, EuroTimes, yes, um, and, and found yourself bring, coming into uh, to the practice management program. What, yes. it, what it attracted you to being involved? Okay, that's correct, Chris. So yes, my primary um, role with ESCRS when I joined in, 2007 was to edit the official news magazine of the Society of Your Times. But um, because I had experience of working on a practice management program for Irish doctors before joining ESCRS, it was suggested that I might help the society start their own practice management program, which we did in 2008, although the prep work started directly in 2007 when I started working with you and with, with uh, Paul and a few of the other um, key opinion leaders in the society. I think it's fair to say, Colin, that no, at that time, people were quite sceptical. And, you know, it was 14 years ago. And I, th I don't think people appreciated the value of what was uh, required and what we were trying to achieve. So, I mean, we hit the ground running. It was a pilot in uh, Berlin uh, in 2008 and uh, a, a very great success. And then we moved onwards and upwards from there with the help of people like Chris and uh, uh, and Rod Sola, for example. I mean, it's, that, that's an interesting point, Paul, because I, th I think th there was this 
a certain amount of skepticism about the program because some members of the society thought, oh, this is all about making money. And that is not the purpose of ECRS, which is to teach doctors clinical skills. So we had to point out to them that if you don't run your business successfully, you can't be a successful clinician because you'll be wasting so much time learning basic business skills that you won't have time to be doing what your core job is, which is being an eye surgeon. Um, so eventually, I think that message did hit home with the society and they actually, by the time we officially launched the programme in 2009, um, I think the society had a much better feel for what we were doing and recognised the value. And in fairness to the society, they've given us support um, every year since then and it's now firmly established as part of the main programme of ESCRS. I mean, I think we're going to talk about Sharif Madhavi's uh, contribution this year, but I think one of his key points is it's not just about being a great clinician, it's the bits that go around that. And for him, it's patient experience and how you maximise that. And I, it's all part of looking after our patients in the, in the widest possible sense. Yeah, if, but if you think about it, you know, there was the point where we, we put on the programme about premium you know, doing a premium practice and premium procedures. And, and that was probably about 10, 11 years ago. And, and it was viewed as extremely controversial at the time. But now this is something that's routine, that's talked about, that's accepted um, as, as part of most, you know, a, a fair number of clinicians practices, not everybody's obviously. Um, what are some of the ways that, that the two of you stepping back and looking looking at it from over the past 13, 14 years, what are some of the key evolutionary milestones that have happened? If you think about the programs that we did in the beginning, which were, you know, how to do a PowerPoint presentation and how to get up and, and give a speech to what what were what is going to be on the program in Milan today in in, in two weeks. I think one of the, I think as you point out there, um, we had to really start at a very basic level because this was very much a new concept for members of the society and delegates attending the annual congress. So we had things like PowerPoint presentations, also basic things like how to use social media, how to build your own website, um, interviewing skills, because at that stage, a lot of doctors did not see that as part of their day-to-day -day activities. Um, even things like how to create a balance sheet, um, that was one of the things we did earlier on. Um, I think as the program has evolved since then, it's now a given, I think, that almost every practice has a social media um, presence. Um, most practices have their own websites, so we don't really need to be talking to doctors too much about that. I think the interesting evolution, especially since COVID, is the need to maybe look at more human-centric ways of dealing with practices, and especially with patients. So one of the big things we're going to be talking about this year is leadership and innovation, um, how to put your, your best face forward when you're dealing with your patients. And as Paul mentioned earlier, um, Sharif Mundavi, who's presenting the masterclass on the Sunday, 
is going to have a day-long session on how to enhance your patient experience. Um, we've also, for the first time, introduced a dedicated um, session for young ophthalmologists. I think there was an assumption in the early days that um, YOs were too busy studying for their exams to have any time to think about setting up a business. But I think it's now acknowledged if you really want to get ahead in your career and you want to hit the ground running when you qualify, you do need to have at least some business skills, you need negotiation skills, and you need uh, leadership skills. Um, and I think the other shout out I'd give in terms of this year's programme is we have a special uh, session on sustainability. And we're not just talking about sustainability as a broad concept. We're going to tell doctors how you can practically make your practice sustainable in a 21st century setting. Uh, that session will be chaired by Dr. David Chang, and it's his first time actually presenting to the uh, practice management program. So we're really delighted to have David on board. I would add, Colin, I think the audience has become more sophisticated. So as well as our programmers evolved, so have they. And so the role of social media has changed. And you're absolutely right about the young ophthalmologists, because 14 years ago, they thought, well, it's nothing to do with us. I think now they are appreciating that the sort of ophthalmology environment, the role of business in uh, investing in practices is altered and that they are going to need those skills when they become fully qualified ophthalmologists. So I think it's a combination of the program and uh, the individual uh, expectations as, as evolved over the years. Yeah, if you, if you think about we used to, in the early days, we often had to do a show of hands about who had been there the year before. And you'd ask the follow-up question of what have you implemented? What did you learn last year and what did you implement? And very rarely in the beginning would anybody have actually gone through and implemented what was shared. Now you 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 get the feeling, you get get the feedback that they are taking very seriously what's talked about, except for maybe the the one that always seems to they fight against a lot is is understanding mar profit margin and that kind of thing. Um, and, and, you know, that, that will come too, but otherwise I think there's a lot more of a buy-in and an absorption of the material that's shared compared to in the beginning when I think it was, it was a bit of a curiosity in a way. Now, I was going to say, I, I don't think doctors generally are by nature, good business people. And so understanding finance, even at its basic level, a lot of us find difficult. But at least what you have to do is know what questions to ask, know what uh, uh, structures uh, need to be in place uh, for running the finances of a practice. And you will employ uh, expertise in, in that area. Um, so, I, But you're right, Chris. I think um, when it comes to sort of managing money, uh, we're not great. And that may be that uh, we should be taught those sort of skills in, in medical school. Um, and again, just to come back to Chris's point, I think the other interesting thing is um, this year before I started work with Paul and Chris and the Practice Management Committee on um, deciding what went on the programme, I actually had a, a good amount of conversations with people who hadn't attended the programme before 
And one person said to me, um, well, I'm in public practice. So um, this, this uh, program is just is for private practitioners. And I had to say to her, well, actually it's not, this is aimed at all doctors. Um, like the business of medicine um, isn't just about practicing independently outside of a hospital. Um, if you're a hospital um, cl clinical leader, you must have nego negotiation skills, you must have leadership skills, and you must know how to deal with uh, administrators. And I think that's one of the, the, the messages we're going to try and emphasize at this year's program. Well, and as Paul knows, if you're you're in a public setting, you 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 are accountable for what you spend, right, Paul? I think that's an extremely important point, uh, Colin. And I work partly for the NHS in the UK and partly in private practice. Uh, and you're absolutely right. If you're a clinical leader in a public service organisation, you're fighting for resources. You need to know how those resources are, are spent and how your uh, department needs to be effectively managed and it's not how to actually sit down and do, prepare the accounts but it's knowing who to ask and what questions to ask and I think then that's what we give people as part of this uh, practice management program. And just to add to that I think Chris um, one of the sessions I'm looking forward to is your session with I think it's Dr Daniel Cook on the yeah. art of negotiation because if you are a doctor, as Paul pointed out, either in private practice or public practice, you must be able to negotiate over a whole range of topics. Yeah, I, I think, think and Dr. Cook and I were talking last week and going going through the things we're going to be working on in that session. But I um, recently wrote a worked on an article regarding um, operating, putting in a day surgery suite in, in your practice. And the surgeon, one of the surgeons I spoke with um, said, I wish I had known that I need to look at the service contract more closely and negotiate the service if the system breaks down. And this is something, especially if you're going into a, a, a practice for the first time, you may not know that that's completely negotiable and that you have the right to ask them what their downtime averages are and things like that. And so... When, when people hear the word negotiation, they often think that it's just a very contractual thing about buying it, buying something from a vendor, but negotiation impacts a whole range of things in the practice. And, and so it's, it's a really critical skill and it's something that sometimes people shy away from because word negotiation makes you feel uncomfortable. So I'm, and, and, and Dr. Cook is, is, um, has, has done this before and is, is, really keen into helping share that. And he's a, he's a YO. I mean, he's one of the, the up and coming ophthalmologists in ESTRS. Yeah. And I think as well, Chris, we want to reach out to YOs as part of your um, session as well, because they are going to have to negotiate um, where their residencies are and their training program. And the more skills they have in doing that properly, the better advanced they will be in their careers. So as you said, negotiation is very wide ranging and needs to be looked at in a very specific way if, if you want to be a good negotiator. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I, Colin, I went on a negotiation skills course, and you may or may not say it was money well spent, but anyway. Um, and I, this was just a general course, all sorts of people from all sorts of walks of life. And they said, you're a doctor, why are you here? What's it, you know, why are you bothering with this? And if you think about your professional life, you're negotiating things like theatre space, access to clinic space. So it's not just about service contracts or money. It's just how your, your day to day work is delivered. So it has a very broad, as you suggest, Colin, a very broad uh, requirement to be understand negotiation and hopefully be good at uh, doing it. And I think the, the other thing that negotiation is going to lead into is the whole patient experience, because one of you, the key negotiations you do every single day of your practice is the negotiation you have with your patients over the service you're providing to them. Um, are they happy with the service? How can it, how can it be improved? Um, you'll also have sometimes to have to negotiate price. Um, some patients can afford to spend a lot of money on their treatment, others can't. And I think one of the key skills of any doctor is to find that happy medium where the patient feels that he or she is getting a premium service, but that they are also getting value for money. Yeah, fully, fully agree. Um, this is the first program, in-person program, that we've done since 2019. Um, and we talk a lot about, you know, COVID impact on healthcare. Um, particularly it had a, it had, it had a fairly profound effect on cataract surgery in, in, during the first, the first phase of lockdown, et cetera. How do you think COVID has, has impacted, especially this is a question more for Paul, impacted the practice of, of ophthalmology and is it you know have we thought in this year's program do you think it's reflect is there anything in particular that jumps out that is a result of how life has changed post-covid so i think with covid you had to turn what would have been a, a terrible situation uh, and look for the positives and the advantages and the opportunities and Sure, we had a shutdown for several months and it gave you time to think about your practice and how it was working, how it needed modification, not just because of COVID, but because it was the opportunity to think about things and take a step back. It also meant that you had to think about delivering healthcare in a different way. So possibly with virtual clinics and the way patients came through the hospital, the way they uh, were prepared for surgery, the use of um, sort of teleconsultations and uh, sort of preoperative assessments beforehand. So you could really think about maximizing the efficiency of your practice when things uh, opened up. And I think from what I could see, we made some great changes. We used virtual clinics much more. We used um, imaging much more uh, and teleconsultation. And I accept that it has limits, but it gives you the opportunity to speak to patients and explain the options um, before you do have the opportunity to do a clinical examination. What I hope is that the positive changes that were made during COVID continue and it's very easy to revert back to uh, the bad old ways 
and you've really got to grasp the opportunities and move forward. So you could hunker down and say, this is terrible, it's the end of the world. But I think the way people survived and those that did well were to say, look, it's terrible, it's an opportunity, let's see how we can improve things and, uh, uh, and make progress. Yeah, I think some of the more interesting things like, oh, maybe you don't need a one day and a one week post-op visit, in-person visit. You know, there's there's certain learnings Precisely. that have I mean, come out that have added efficiency to the process. Exactly. I mean, as it happens, we weren't doing post-op follow-ups, but uh, anyway, but uh, I think for those that were, they were either stopped doing them or um, they were doing them by uh, telephone. And I think one of the other things which has come on is I suppose it's AI and the use of, um, so that there's uh, a system where you automatically, a patient is automatically phoned up by a computer who happens to be named Abdora. And she goes, or the computer goes through a questionnaire with the patients to determine whether they need uh, any formal follow-up. So introducing those sort of new technologies, uh, I think are, uh, again, the positives from COVID. Yeah. And just to add to that, Paul, um, we will have a special one-hour session at lunchtime on Monday on automation and artificial intelligence in your practice, um, which I think will be of great interest to a lot of delegates. I mean, the other point I'd make um, following on from Paul is I think one of the big lessons from COVID was the financial pressures that it put both patients and doctors under, and they have to be a lot more agile in the post-COVID uh, society in deciding how they run their practices and deciding how best they can serve their patients. Right. I think this would apply in the coming months when we are gonna face huge cost of living crises, um, energy crisis and so forth, it's in the press all the time every day and i just wonder whether that's going to be even worse than uh, covid uh, and again it, it, you have to look at your practice and uh, try and make it as efficient as possible and hopefully we'll all come through it but it's something that we again we have to bear in mind in the next six 12 months and definitely okay so looking ahead to 2023 and beyond um where does the committee um, see this program going, Paul. Chris, thanks. Uh, we will continue to develop the uh, program within the main conference, and um, we've got, I think, a fantastic program for Milan. And the what we want to do is not make it just a, a once a year event. Uh, we did run weekend. Uh, programs until uh, a few years ago and the plan for 2023 is to restart those um, we will have two weekend uh, meetings and we will also between those uh, meetings have uh, webinars so it's a progressive uh, program of uh, education throughout the year and then the following year the program will be refreshed so people will do the first year it'll have a specific theme and then that theme will change for the following year so it's part of an ongoing education program for, for all our members. Colin anything to add there? Yeah um, I think one of the, the big 
wins we have this year is that we're actually back in person in a big congress center talking directly to people because while zoom has got its strengths um i think personally i think nothing can replicate the person-to-person -person, uh, interaction between doctors and between doctors and delegates and um, i think one of the things we're trying to do every year with the practice management program and especially this year is to have as much audience participation as possible um, and i don't just mean that people stand up and they ask a question and then we answer it we want them to actually do that but we hope as well that they will physically come up to our presenters after the session get their details say can i meet you for coffee and um, can you answer me this question about my own practice um, for some, one of the things I found during Zoom is that people were reluctant to do that in the sort of chat function, but they seem to be a lot more happy when they can actually see a doctor in person and, as it says, walk up to him and her and say, I really loved your presentation, Dr. Rosen. Um, can you please um, clarify one or two points? Um, also, the practice management weekends, as Paul said, we did them um several years ago and then they sort of fell off the radar for different reasons but i think now there's a realization in society that if this program is to grow it has to be a year-long program and not just something that happens every year at the congress um, we're also exploring the possibility so maybe paul could expand on this a bit of setting up some sort of educational course um for people who want to learn business skills. Uh, that's a fairly complex task. Uh, it won't necessarily happen next year, although we're working on it um, quite intensely at the moment. But I think it's been done um, in other centres, and I think EUCRS is equipped to give doctors some sort of formal education in learning and innovation and practice management. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Colin. I mean, the weekend program may contribute to that. Uh, and some years ago, we did look at uh, asking Oxford Business School, Side Business School, to set up a program for us. It necessarily becomes very expensive and that game becomes a difficulty for our members. So yeah, we are looking into that and hopefully we'll be able to put something together in the future. And so people can have some form of um, qualification uh, in, uh, if you like, business skills. But uh, I'm hoping that the year-long uh, programme will uh, make a significant contribution to that process. I would definitely think so. Um... Okay, Colin, I'm going to give you the last word, which is to plug the time, dates, and place for this year's practice management uh, meeting in Milan. Okay, so it's a two-day program. Day one is on Sunday, September 18th. It's a day-long masterclass, which will be delivered by Sharif Madavi on growing the patient experience. Um, that's going to be, I think, one of the highlights of the whole Congress. He's, Sharif has developed a really top class faculty. Um, it's not just Sharif um, talking on his own. 
he's invited um, clinicians and practice managers to join him during the day to talk about how best they can um, serve their patients. One of the interesting things he's going to talk about is um, getting rid of the waiting room. And he doesn't mean physically getting rid of the waiting room, but he says the way that patients were dealt with in waiting rooms um, 10 years ago no longer works. Um, the whole concept that a patient is waiting for the doctor um, isn't a comfortable experience for a lot of patients. Um, that's going to be an interesting part of that whole session. But there's a wealth of stuff going on there. And it's in room round one. If you go onto the online ESS program, which um, is up now, you can see the full details. So that's Sunday. On the Monday, we've a day-long session of workshops, which are basically uh, dedicated one-hour sessions on a whole range of topics, including negotiation, sustainability, artificial intelligence, um, leadership, um, business skills for young ophthalmologists. Um, that starts at, I think it's 8.30 and runs all the way up to six o'clock. It's a really busy schedule, but I think we've got a top class factory there. And one of the things that we like to do every year is everybody turns up on Sunday for the masterclass is invited to attend the Monday sessions because if you learn something on Sunday, you'll find that a lot of the stuff you learned on Sunday can be developed on the Monday. The other thing I would say is that all these sessions are free to delegates who registered. You don't have to pay anything extra. Um, it's really first come first served. I'd advise people to try and get there early because sometimes, especially for the popular sessions, the room gets full very quickly. Yes. All right. Thank you so much, Colin and Paul, for joining us today on our uh, MedDevice podcast, Business of Eye Innovation. Thanks very much, Chris. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. See you in Milan. <laughs>